Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of youth and families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Well, Gage, here we are in our ecclesiology uh, series. We had a lot of really encouraging feedback from our episode with John and Justin from the Theocast and then the week before that, our interview with Brett McCracken that was Crossway tweeted a link to our uh, to our podcast. That's that, they published the Bible. I mean, like they, it could it get any bigger than that. Uh, that was super exciting, and we were appreciative to Crossway not only for uh, uh, shooting out a link to the podcast, but also for um, uh, sending a free a free copy of the Wisdom Pyramid to our giveaway winner. And uh, uh, congratulations to our winner. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, just as a reminder, um, even while this uh, podcast is being recorded, we have another giveaway happening. Our buddies at Theocast were um, gracious enough to give away a copy of Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. That's their latest book there. You can get at uh, theocast.org. Or uh, if you go on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or visit our website at assuranceofpardon.com, you'll see that we're giving away a copy of faith versus faithfulness and the winner of that uh will be reached out to uh, next tuesday so there's still time uh to enter in and assurance of pardon is sponsored by logos bible software um one of my favorite features on logos bible software is their mobile ed packages they have got hundreds of classes that you can take at your own pace uh, on everything from biblical languages to counseling to hermeneutics, um, church history, uh, every every topic um, related to theology you can imagine. They've got courses you can go on there, buy, uh, and watch videos of, the, of, of seminary-trained uh, professors teaching you things that you would otherwise have to pay lots and lots of money for at a seminary you could do it there and at your own pace uh in, in the comfort of your own home so if you check out logos bible software be sure and check out their mobile ed i've taken a lot of courses through that and found it really really helpful absolutely we love the guys at logos uh so scott today uh the topic of the discussion as we continue our ecclesiology series our study in the doctrine of the church uh, we want to talk about the holy spirit you know oftentimes as reform guys um people joke that our Holy Trinity is God, the father, God, the son, and the word. And we tend to leave the Holy spirit out and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, the spirit is constantly talked about by the reformers. Calvin was actually known as the reformer of the spirit in the way that he talks about the spirit constantly in his institutes. Um, it's just how we define and talk about the spirit and what we understand the scriptures to tell us about the third person of the Trinity is, um, drastically different than our charismatic friends, right? And our, our non-denominational friends. 
Yeah, I was. I was. We were talking just before the show uh, a couple of years ago. I was at a little uh, uh, theater here in the resort town that I that I, I live in, and uh, there was a there was at this little dinner theater. Somebody uh, told her I was a pastor, and so she came. This was on a Saturday night, and she comes up to me and she said, "Hey, those people over there told me you're a pastor. We're here in town on vacation, and we're looking to uh, visit a church tomorrow morning for Sunday worship." Uh, where is your church? And I said, oh, we're, you know, we're on Shady Grove Road. And she says, oh, good. Well, we're looking for a church that is full gospel and spirit filled. Is that your church right now? Like in my head, I'm thinking, well, of course we're, we're full gospel. We're a gospel centered church, right? Of course we have the spirit. I mean, the spirit is, of course, but I know what she means, right? I know what she means. She means, do we speak in tongues? Do we talk about the the continuation of the miraculous gifts of the spirit? Uh, and so, and in her mind, if you don't, according to the nomenclature of the charismatic world, if you don't do church in the way that we do it, you are, you are partial gospel and you yeah. are spirit empty. Yeah, you're missing something or you're squelching the spirit or um, I've heard it put this way by friends. You know, they'll say, well, I'm just really drawn to places where the spirit is free to move. Now, I want you to understand this for a second. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity. And right. as reformed guys, we believe that God is one God in three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, which means the Holy Spirit is God, right? So if the God of the universe does all that he pleases, the Spirit moves however he wishes. Literally, when Jesus is talking about this in John 3 with Nicodemus, he uh, essentially compares the Spirit to the way wind works, right? You don't That's get right. to control the wind. The wind moves where it wishes. It blows when it does. It comes and it goes. You don't know when it's coming, but you see its effects, right? The, so it is with the Spirit. The Spirit raises who he, who he wants to um, and reveals him, himself to who he wants to. He uh, quickens who he wants to. He draws people to um, himself and you're not in a position, dear person, to, to tell the spirit what they, what he can and cannot do. Right. And, and so, but the problem is when you say, well, I just want to be in a place where the spirit is free to move again, like that nomenclature of full gospel, um, spirit filled. The implication is if you don't do things the way I think you should do it, you somehow are less a, of a Christian. Yeah, as though as though we can through what we're doing handcuff the spirit. So like there's a church service and the Holy Spirit is is sort of handcuffed in the corner just really really wanting to move but he has been he the spirit has been uh uh barred from it, barricaded from it. And boy that that makes us more powerful than God. That makes right. us more powerful than God if we think that we can through what we're doing. If if you really believe, as we do, that in the book of Acts, the Spirit came and appeared as tongues of fire on people's heads and caused them to speak in other languages. One of the things, you know, we can we could talk a whole lot about what's going on there, but one of the things we should both agree is, hey, the Spirit does what it wants to do. Yes, agree. We're not in control of the Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, and and so we've got to get away from this idea of 
of if you don't, if your service is not structured the way ours is, or if you're sort of, let me say different, if your service has structure, right, that you're somehow, that you are somehow uh, uh, quenching or, or uh, handcuffing the spirit from being able to move. Right. And that's, you know, when we talk about reformed faith and we talk about um, our worship, right? We did a whole episode on the means of grace, the simple means of grace, and we are a simple means of grace church that essentially every worship service should have word, prayer, and sacrament. And so um, because of that, some criticism that we often face when we get into this discussion of liturgy is, well, if you create that format of worship, um, you are um, denying the spirit's ability to move. And that's honestly straight up, no holds bar, a man-centered view of worship, right? That's not full gospel. That's actually no gospel um, because um, what it does is it puts the the focus and the ability and the power and the deciding factor on you. It's your ability to either welcome or deny the spirit. It's your ability to give the spirit control of what it can or cannot do. Um, and, and, and so, so on. Um, so even when we get into this discussion about worship and, and about, about the spirit, uh, we have to at least first define that we understand God has a specific way in which he desires to, to be worshiped. Right. If you're going all the way back to the beginning of the priesthood in, um, the Pentateuch, you see that Aaron and his sons, they're given specific instructions for how things are, are set to go. They consecrate themselves. And then we see as early as Aaron's sons, when they're out, out doing what they want to do the way they want to do it, they're killed for it, right? They, they create what the scriptures call strange fire and it, it consumes them. But, and it's not because, you know, God was somehow angry in the old Testament and took a Prozac and now he's cool in the new Testament. It's, <laughs> or, it's or he had a baby. He had a baby it, and chilled out. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it's because <clears throat> God, God gets to set the tone on how he desires to be worshiped. He's creator. We're creature. The creature doesn't get to say to the creator how things should be. And so if we have a set way in which God has com- communicated with us and and condescended to tell us how he desires to be worshiped, we don't then get to say, well, here the spirit's free to roam and do whatever he wants to. But if you have a structure, you're now denying the Holy Spirit in some sort, sort of way. Yeah, our Scott Clark has a very helpful thing when he talks about our our quest for illegitimate religious experience. And so sometimes we will say, I will know the spirit has moved if I feel if I have this particular emo- emotional experience, that means the spirit moved that I can I can sense that in some way that when the spirit is operating, uh, when the truth is the spirit, the spirit is 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 operating wherever the word is is rightly preached, wherever the sacraments are rightly administered, wherever the believers gather uh, uh, together to worship, the spirit is there. Where two or three are gathered, I am with you as well. This is Jesus talking about talking about church discipline. But but we know that we know that when the when the church ca- is called to worship, when we gather, the spirit is there. It is the one who, it is the one who's, and it is moving and it is doing what it's going to do, whether we feel it or not. And, and, and who is to say, who is to say what that feeling is, right? I mean, like, I'm, I'm, am I going to say it's only the spirit if I have this sort of, this sort of flutter in my heart? 
um, which is the the quest for the illegitimate religious experience. I'm chasing a, a, a mountaintop experience, um, which is just an absolute uh, wrong understanding of the movement of the spirit. Well, and, and it goes back to, you know, without rehashing the entire episode that we just had with Theocast, we'd invite you guys to go, go check it out. But um, it goes back to that conversation we had last week with our, our Theocast guys of this privatized, um, alone, quiet time experience that really has its roots in revivalism, mm-hmm. right? Where it, the history of the church, the Presbyterians and other reformers were pushing back against guys, like even, even guys like Jonathan Edwards um, and, and others, that they were saying, hey, you know, you're placing a lot of emphasis on this experimental experience um, moment void of categories rooted in the text. Uh, and now where that's kind of continued to push, the more in- individualized our culture and society has become, the more you're now having this, your own experience with your Bible in your, your prayer closet, so to speak. Right. Um, and if you can't see that cultivated and, and um, essentially approved of, then your that church can't be spirit filled. Right. If someone speaks in into that and goes, "Hey, brother, sister, that's not the way this is supposed to go," um, well, they're just trying to swell the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are so many ways in which in which um, we can, through a, a man centered worship, um, send people, turn people back in on themselves. You think about even, and I'm going to step on some toes here, the lowering of lights during the worship service. I'm not talking about you have a projector and we can't see the projector. If the, I'm talking about lowering the lights to like concert level so that it's just me and God. This is a, a cocooning of the person so that I will feel less uh, encumbered maybe if the lights are dark, if it's dark in here. And, and, and this idea that what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort of replicate this sort of prayer closet idea when we gather together. And so that's to take corporate worship and make it individual. When the truth is what, what we're doing in corporate worship is we are being encouraged by seeing the, the 85 year old grandmother on one side of me and the four year old on the other side of me, all singing to the same God. But when we, when we lower the lights down to, to, to remove people's inhibitions uh, in some sort of way, we're cocooning people. You know, we just, if we can, if we can cocoon ourselves enough, then we're going to come out of this a butterfly. And, and it's, it's just absolutely absurd because it's, uh, again, that's the way you, cr- that's, that's show business, right? That's, that's uh, audience manipulation. That's crowd dynamics. That's not the way that we see the, the, corporate worship depicted for us in the scriptures. Yeah. And I, you know, our buddy Chad bird um, has some really helpful things to say about this in his book, upside down spirituality. Um, and he makes a really helpful distinction. Um, our faith is personal, but our faith isn't private. And I think that's a, that's a important distinction to make because what you see in the old Testament, what you see in the new Testament, in the old Testament, you see, um, Nehemiah and and Ezra and others reading the law, the people of God standing 
hearing the the law corporately and responding as a group, right? The thing that Ezra didn't say is, okay, everybody take your scrolls and go find your prayer closet and have your own personal experience with God. Then you see, flash forward to the New Testament, um, in the the history of redemption after the spirit falls this is after pentecost what do you see the group devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the prayers to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship it was corporate it's always been corporate um and so when you have to place this individual personalized experience with you and the spirit um, you're actually doing the very thing that um, Saul was accused of when he tried to, to kind of take the lead and make make a sacrifice um, when Samuel wasn't there or what Aaron's sons are doing. You're doing, you're essentially saying worship can be whatever I want it to be, however I want it to be. And I, if I don't have this personalized experience, then I'm going to push away anybody speaking against that to me. Um, and you're essentially making strange fire. You're doing things that God's telling you not to do. So, but I think it's helpful here as we have this conversation to now let's, let's lay out some foundation Let's lay some categories out and let's actually even talk about it. We've talked about it in the negative. Let's talk about, about it in the affirmative of what does the work of the spirit look like in the life of the church, Scott? So I think the first thing we got to do is we you reference Pentecost. Um, I think we have to talk about the difference between, and we've, we've had this discussion before, but I think it's worth um, reminding our listeners uh, the difference between prescriptive and descriptive. Yeah. Right. So what do we mean? Yeah. Prescriptive and descriptive. Uh, um, prescriptive are things that the scripture tells us to do, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's that's talking to me. Descriptive are things that we see happening in, in the scriptures, but are not necessarily the scripture telling us to do that. Uh, and then David went and grabbed, you know, five smooth stones and slayed Goliath. Uh, that's descriptive. That's describe. And, you know, and then the Israelites went and, and and killed the Philistines, describing something that happened. But I'm not being I'm not being talked to in that regard. I'm, that's that's right. Sometimes it's called narrative versus didactic. Didactic means it's telling me something, it's teaching me something, it's giving me direction. That would be prescriptive versus narrative. It's just describing some things that did happen. Yeah. So uh, another good example, um, you know, it says that David danced naked before the Lord. That's a description of something that happened. What that isn't is a call for someone to start a nudist ministry. Not not a not a thing, right? What? Uh, yeah, what? I, I know. Yeah, I know those flyers. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know, Scott. You were looking forward to that, but um, in that, now that you have those categories, let's now apply that hermeneutic rule to the narrative in the Book of Acts, where you have the Day of Pentecost, you have the Spirit. Uh, being given to the disciples of John. You have the spirit falling on Cornelius and others. Um, our charismatic friends would say, see, you're only really saved if this experience happens to you. So you have like your 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 salvation and almost your second baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's when you know you're actually saved. The problem with that is um, when we see an increase 
in prophecy, right, we see the increase in instruction given, you see a decrease um, in the miraculous, right? So as the, the history of redemption is happening and the book of Acts, Luke is just telling you about what happened in this new age that Jesus had promised when the comforter would come, you see the spirit moving in extraordinary ways, but then the rest of the New Testament is straight instruction, right? Right. Paul, Paul writes two thirds of the new Testament. Peter writes two epistles. John writes three epistles, James and Hebrews and others are simply giving the church instruction. And you see, uh, you don't see a continuation of, and then when, when the spirit falls on all of you this way, right? Because with the increase in prophecy comes the decrease in the miraculous. Yeah. And, and let's just think, let's just talk through about, about how we see the spirit moving when we gather for corporate worship, I mean, we, we, when we begin our service with a, with a, a call to worship from scripture, right. This from the spirit inspired word of God mm -hmm. uh, is, is brought to bear enter his gates with Thanksgiving and his courts with praise, right. Uh, where, where someplace where God's people are called to worship. And then I pray a prayer of invocation. Oh, father, you have gathered us here this morning. You have called us to worship. You have redeemed us. You have you have adopted us. You have forgiven us of our sins through the work of your son. And we gather here this morning that we may bring glory to your son. But Father, we need your spirit to to do to help us with that. You call us to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit this morning that we may, by the Spirit, bring glory to your Son. Unless your Spirit is present among us, we are wasting our time. But we believe the promise that where two or three are gathered, you are there as well. That you are you move among your people, and so uh, help us this morning to bring glory to your Son. Right. That's a, a prayer of invocation. Right. And yeah. so that's that there we go that we're, we're 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 putting some categories for people on what's the spirit going to do well the spirit is going to and then we we come to confession of sin show us our sin help us to hate our sin that's the work of the spirit to help me hate my sin help me see my sin clearly uh the, what else does the spirit do this is in our corporate confession of sin this help me see my sin help me see it clearly and then the spirit's job is to help me believe the gospel Right, I help help me help uh, apply this forgiveness to my heart again. Uh, remind me anew by your word, and by the, these means of grace. Remind me anew that I have been adopted, that I belong to Jesus. That's the Spirit's primary job: is a spotlight to put the the to to showcase Christ. And so, there's the Spirit's work. We use this, this we invoke the Spirit in our worship. The Spirit convinces us of our sin helps us to convinces us of our forgiveness and then the word is preached and what do we do in the preach word we we pray that the spirit would illumine our hearts that the spirit would cause the word to go forth with great power that the spirit would would accomplish among your people this morning what you desire it to accomplish this is this word is inspired by your spirit and so we need your spirit's help in understanding it so uh, write its eternal truth on the fleshy tablets of our hearts, as as we reform folks often say. Apply this spirit to us, and then we come to the table and we say, Jesus is spiritually present here when we partake of this bread and this wine. We are being fed Christ spiritually, um, and and then and then we we you know obviously there's songs throughout all this, 
but that's the that's what the spirit is doing is it's is it's moving mightily and it's moving mightily even if we're not getting a uh, a, a a quiver in the liver yeah absolutely i mean it's that that sounds spirit filled to me and i and i think you know it, it's important to um in this discussion to understand that the mir- miraculous the signs whether it be in the Old Testament with prophets like Elijah and Elisha um, or with Jesus in his uh, first advent, um, the miraculous was always meant to give authority to the word, right? You even see it at some point, Jesus stops doing signs because they weren't believing because he's, he's getting to the point to where the main event, the main focus that he wants them to understand that he repeats time and time and time again is the cross, right? It's not, I, I can just do these things. That's why even in John six, he gets to the point, does this miraculous thing in, in feeding thousands and they want to make him King. What does he do? He gives the eat my flesh, drink my blood speech, the worst church growth speech in the history of the world. Because what happens? Many people walk away. Why? Because they wanted the miraculous. They didn't actually want the substance, right? They wanted they wanted glory. They didn't want the cross. And and, and so as you're having this conversation and you're you're thinking through these things, it helps us then to understand what place these signs should have and that that's what kind of informs how we we think about things yeah you think about the paralytic lowered through the roof um um uh jesus is teaching in a crowded house that can't get in their friends can't get their paralytic friend in they 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 dig a hole in the roof and lower this crippled guy who falls in a in a crumpled uh paralyzed heap at jesus feet and jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven, which was scandalous, right? Who, who are you to forgive sins, right? You can't. <clears throat> and then Jesus says, why do you, why do you question that I say your sins are forgiven? Which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or me to say, rise, take up your mat and walk. And obviously what Jesus means there is, hey, forgiveness of sins comes at great cost to me. I can heal legs all day long. Doesn't, it doesn't zap my batteries at all. Right. It is like, I'm, I'm not, I don't lose anything. Forgiveness of sins is going to cause me to be killed. Forgiveness Mm -hmm. of sins is going to cause me because if I forgive of sins, I'm taking those sins on myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing the harder work thing. I'm forgiving a sins of thing, but, but Jesus says, and this is getting to the miraculous. You're questioning whether or not I have the authority to forgive sins. And that's a dangerous thing for you to do. I don't want anybody here to walk out of here going, but was were his sins forgiven? Were they really? I mean, how do we know? And so Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And what's he doing? He's, I'm going to do something miraculous for you to convince you I'm going to do a visible thing for you to convince you that this invisible thing really happened. Amen. Right. And, and that's, that's the, that's the thing is Jesus, my, my job, you know, the truth is because not everybody needs their legs healed, but everybody needs their sins forgiven. And yep. this guy's biggest problem is actually not that his legs don't work. His most crippling condition is that he's a sinner. And so yeah. are you. And that flies in the face of prosperity gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Where prosperity gospel says, your biggest issue is your poverty. Your biggest issue is your handicap. 
Your biggest issue is your illness. And if you don't have enough faith, this thing isn't going to happen for you. Or if, if you sometimes have money and sometimes don't, it's because you lost faith. And again, the focus is on you, your ability, your experience, your lack of faith, or your ability to white knuckle your faith in, into possibility. When in reality, Jesus is born to the poorest of the poor, because the issue is poverty isn't a sin. Point blank, period. You know what else isn't a sin? Handicap. It's an effect of the fall, right? It's It shows the brokenness in the world. But that's why there's that whole dialogue about, well, he must be blind because of his sins or his parents' sins. And Jesus essentially like kills that, right? He pushes back against that. Because that's not the issue. Just like with the the man that gets carried in with his friends, the, his biggest issue, like you said, Scott, is that he needs his sins forgiven. If he right. if he if he never got up and walked, that would be okay because he would enter into paradise with his savior and be saved from his sins. So, what is the spirit's number one role? The spirit's number one role is to point me constantly the spirit is i think this is a um i think this is a wayne grudem Grudem quote the spirit's one role is to point to jesus finished work as being sufficient jesus work on the cross so it that's what the spirit does that's its 24 7 job is to convince people you are a sinner who needs a savior jesus is that savior that's the spirit's role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so in the spirit helps me see that the spirit, uh, helps me understand God's word. The spirit applies that word to my heart. That's, and if those things are happening, the spirit is moving. And I think one more piece that we need to bring in into this conversation, um, as we think about the spirit is this, um, concept. Oh, Palmer Robinson has, Uh, a book called The Final Word. It's a small book, super helpful in this conversation, because essentially as we're talking about the work of the Spirit and the life of the church, and we're talking about spiritual gifts and the miraculous versus the non-miraculous in in what typically is called the cessationist view versus the continuationist view, as in there were certain miraculous gifts that ceased at the completion of the canon. Um, and they were there are certain gifts that continue. Um, you know, we catch a lot of criticism from our charismatic friends over this position. Uh, Robinson talks about this in concepts of revelation, right? That if you um, are going to believe then and hold the stance of which we do, that all that God has revealed to us necessary for life and godliness is in the scripture right? From Genesis to Revelation, this is sufficient. This is God's revelation to us. This is, as Paul says, spirit breathed. God breathed out words being given to us, and it's all that we need. Amen. And if if revelation then is sufficiently given, then anytime that you say, well, I just feel like the spirit told me, or uh, the spirit gave me a word to give to you or the spirit, um, you know, some guys get in the pulpit. They don't study the text. They just open the Bible and they quote unquote, trust the spirit to give them utterance. Um, all of those things are implying that you have fresh revelation. 
that right. that God didn't say all that he needed to say there, that you honestly are doing the opposite of what, what Revelation warns against. You're now adding to the scriptures in your revelation. And if we believe then that the scriptures are sufficient and that revelation is done, then again, the miraculous points to the revelation. And with the increase in revelation, the decrease of the miraculous happens. So now when we have this conversation about spiritual gifts, I don't have to try to take a survey, right? I don't have right. to, I don't have to try to um, rack my brain about what exactly this means. I now can do what? I can go to where Revelation is in Ephesians 4 and know that every single believer has the Spirit. And in having the Spirit, you each have giftings for what reason? For the building up of the body. Amen. If your gift is performative, it's building you up. It's not building up the body. Right. But if your gift is given in such a way um, and that the list that we have in scripture, I don't believe are exhaustive. Right. That the, the spirit gives all sorts of gifts to the church. Why? Again, for the corporate. Right. Not for the right. private. Um, right. and, and, and that brings us full circle to back to everything that we were talking about. When we talk about the life of the spirit to be spirit filled is to point to Jesus. Amen. And, and even in using your gifts. How are you using the gifts God has given you to corporately point your brothers and sisters to Jesus? Um, and and that, I think that that's helpful in this conversation. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a great place. That's a great place to end. Uh, hopefully uh, for we, you know, our, our goal from the beginning of this podcast over a year ago has been to introduce reformed thought and Presbyterian theology we believe is biblical to folks that are maybe from a different tribe and so hopefully if you are from a, a, a non-reformed or a non-presbyterian um, background you're hearing some of this for the first time hopefully this is helpful this is we, we didn't exhaust everything there is to say about the spirit as it relates to our reformed uh, system but hopefully we've kind of whet your appetite and put you on the trail uh, to help you understand uh, what we believe and why we believe it Absolutely. And if you have any questions, be sure to hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can always email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. We'd love to hear uh, from our listeners. I get emails on a regular basis, uh, getting feedback and, and get text messages from friends and others um, that have found the show to be super helpful. Uh, I would remind you one more time to be sure in, in, in visiting our social media uh, platforms to enter a chance to win Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. Um, and until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.